to the Second Renaissance podcast, where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology-driven world. I'm Anders Sommelson, global futurist, author, and the co-creator of the Adobe CQ, the IQ test for your creative leadership, and your host for the Second Renaissance. Francisca Iselli, welcome to the Second Renaissance here on the northern beaches of Sydney. Thank you so much. It was a very long commute. I know. You've just come <laughs> across yeah. from the Basic Bananas headquarters at Narrabeen. Yeah. Very fortunate. I, you know, it's, it's so nice to have other entrepreneurs on the beaches. There's a lot now, especially in Avalon. I feel like there's like a little mini renaissance here on, the, so on the insular peninsula. Yeah. It is so true. And it's really nice because I remember... When I first started my business 11 years ago, I felt a bit like, oh, do I need to be in the city? And should I have an office, at least in Manly? Or, well, in the city might be more ideal. And then I decided against it just for lifestyle reasons. But it felt a bit lonely almost in this space. And now, I mean, all the cool people are here, right? We totally, we totally <laughs> are the, the cool people. I'm, I'm curious, what, what, what happened at Christmas? Because like, you have this like epic, sort of iconic yellow beaming you know basic banana sign and building on the crossroads just north of the bridge that i think yeah. divided the northern zone and the southern zone during lockdowns which which side did you kind of land on well so so my office was in the red zone north same as yours so lockdown but office was closed anyway and my my house is just close to the office but it was in the green zone on the other side of the bridge on the beach so I was in the in the good zone office and a few of my team members and friends were in the red zone for okay. that Christmas period and it was definitely you know because all year we haven't traveled I haven't been on a plane since March last year which is the first time in years and years that I haven't been on a plane and so finally my partner organized a surprise to go to Tasmania for New Year's Eve and then, of course, and I was so excited yeah. just to get on a plane and go somewhere else. And then, of course, we couldn't go. Well, welcome to where the wildlings live here up <laughs> in, uh, in our Avalon, Avalon studio. I know, um, I mean, this might be a good sort of starting point. I know how much, you know, as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, as a, as a social entrepreneur, travel has really sort of shaped you whether it's getting on your bike and driving through all the stands uh, yeah. through the middle east through you know parts of europe um i know you say that some of the most sort of creative or inspirational ideas you get is when you're above the clouds literally yes. so now you can't travel what how, how do you get your inspiration or, or creativity it's these such days a great question and and you know every year i pick a word a theme for the year do you do that yeah i do What's yeah your, is it public um i haven't actually picked one for for this year although i think like renaissance could be you know a good year um mm. for for that particular I word like it. yeah mm. so mine so mine last year was love the year before was evolution and i really got kicked in the butt got evolution i think the universe just wanted to give me evolution that's also when i mm -hmm. rode through the stands and that's where i got definitely kicked in my butt a lot and then this year, you know, talking creativity and how I get creativity now, I picked the word create. And actually, my one of my best friends, she made me this bracelet that has create on it. So I wear it. Sure. It's very cute. And so 
I sat down at the end of a last year thinking about the year that has gone without traveling and without adventuring. And I did feel, I know this sounds very like first world problem, but I did feel a bit like, but I really, you know, I need to do things that are a bit crazy adventures. We do local adventures, but it just felt like they're not crazy enough. And so I thought, well, maybe I need to do other things to bring out more creativity and to create again more maybe instead of staying stagnant and so i just thought about okay to create this year is my theme how else can i create and and it involves obviously more music making more time to to create music and and write music i'm not that good at writing music but doesn't mean that i can't write just to mm -hmm. exercise my creativity and what's your what's your instrument of choice well when i was a kid i learned so the instrument that i'm probably the best at is the saxophone but the one that i play now the two that i play now that are easier to write music on are the keyboard i'm not that good and also the guitar again not not very good i watch youtube videos and learn songs and my target is to and as that might sound like i'm stifling creativity but i want to learn one new song on the guitar per month at least and so that's that through music also through art like drawing I bought some courses to do illustrations, to show me some techniques, just creating. And also in terms of entrepreneurship, we just launched another business, the data people. I'm not sure if you saw it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I did on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. I was curious to ask you about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, talking creativity, I also feel like sometimes, oftentimes, this is actually something that one of my girlfriends in Italy, her dad is apparently, I haven't met him, one of these wise old souls and he gives her tasks all the time and one task he gave her which she then told me is that she needs to do something she doesn't want to do she doesn't like to do so i tell she, i tell my son who's three and a half that all the time really <laughs> well because he has to do the chores right <laughs> nice but this planning. is an her adult father telling her yes. now in adulthood she yeah has to she's do in this. her late 30s early 40s okay. And so the one thing she did is she went out and, and got some, I know we're going off track, but it's going to come back to the data people. She went out and bought some plants, house plants, because she said, I don't like house plants. I can't keep them alive and I just find them annoying. So she is forcing herself to do something she doesn't like. And with this, and I'm not saying that I don't like the data people. I love the data people. Otherwise I wouldn't be involved, but it's not necessarily my, the data is not necessarily my biggest skill, but I'm partnering with three guys who are at the top in that industry. And I'm coming in as the marketing and branding director. Yeah, cool. uh, so there's four partners and I feel like I'm, I'm learning a lot by just, you know, talking about this topic a lot, because obviously mm -hmm. I have to know a lot to market and brand and communicate about it. So yeah, it's part of creating, I guess. And I think there's so much creative now driven by data and I, I, yes. you know an example of this is i know when netflix launched house of cards for example you know netflix back in the day used to be a company that distributed other brands content right yes and they actually did it via dvds and they would send them yeah. you know via snail mail maybe with a pigeon to our inboxes and they would get very little data back on whether someone had actually used that dvd open it watch the whole series and then of course they switched their 
distribution model to one that was digital and all mm-hmm. of a sudden they could eavesdrop on mm-hmm. both of us and know what we like to binge watch and all the rest and they could also you know cross identify what their database loved in terms of content even down to you know what kind of protagonists what kind of actors what kind of directors and so when they created house of cards they did it in a very database approach where they looked at the database and they said okay well we know we have a huge portion of of our clients who love watching you know kevin spacey for example mm-hmm. yeah that we have david fincher who's a director who they love and if we overlay a 20 year old uk script that was a success then we've got the perfect venn diagram for 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 a successful series now we have to go off and create it but even down to the posters that they created yes. the artists were actually driven by the a b split testing of different pantone colors that they cross-checked to see what the eventual creative would be so it was like a data-driven approach to to creativity absolutely and i mean netflix is one of those companies that is definitely 100 percent data-driven and if i find it very interesting did you actually real quick on the create the creativity of posters did you hear i forgot who it was he was a uh, one of the directors i believe that created a poster for his show and then there was he's not a, an artist but then proper artist designers designed also posted as they tested the posters and they didn't tell the production company which one is which one and the audience picked the one of the non-artist and so they picked that and, and this non-artist said that they would never have picked it if they had not tested it and gotten data on what people like mm-hmm. and i find that you know very cool that we can now use data or data <laughs> to make better decisions not just decisions based on who has what skills but based on what do we like and i think maybe in terms of the world sort of in some ways slowing down to bring this back to both data and creativity that you know maybe now when we can't travel and expose our senses to so many you know visceral inputs be it you know the sort of you know the senses being overdosed in a in a souk or in a market or um mm. you know our, our taste buds you know in in bangalore or mumbai um being overwhelmed you know i, I think maybe there's more space for us to actually sit back like i i can be guilty of this myself where i just like where I'm thinking about a new presentation or, you know, a strategy development workshop. And I'm like researching, 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 mm. researching. And I'm like, I'm just overloading my senses with, with great ideas. And then, then there's time to create. And I'm like, oh, I've only left this much time yeah. before I actually have to deliver this thing to create. But maybe as like the world slows down and we can't expose our senses so much, do you think that there's sort of more freedom maybe to sit back and rather than just having inputs to actually focus on the creative outputs? Yeah, it's a really great question, especially the freedom question, because it's almost like when we couldn't travel anymore, I almost felt like all my freedom was stolen, you know, for the lack of a better word. And then, you know, when I think about it and you pose this question, what about if we actually got more freedom because now we are not constantly on the go and indulging in these experiences what if that means freedom and i'm still you know I'm, i don't know if yes or no but it's definitely 
something that I'm exploring. I'm not very good at just sitting back and exploring the nothing because, you know, you asked before, the, those trips that I've been on, they bring out so much in in my thinking, in my imagination too, because they're sometimes quite difficult. And I feel like there are different things that for me personally, and I think it's probably the same for a lot of people that fuel creativity. Mm. For me, one of them is contrasting situations and, and putting myself into contrasts. So for example, one day on, on this journey, I might be sleeping in a yurt somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Tajikistan because we didn't make it to a village. The next day we might be staying in a very, you know, rundown motel because that's all we get and it's interesting you meet people and then the next day we might pull into a bigger city and go to the fanciest hotel you know five-star hotel that is very affordable in these countries and it's living it up in this very fancy way and it's this this contrast i feel that that makes my brain work differently it's not just you know we live on the northern beaches here everything is very safe and secure and it's beautiful and we're very privileged we have beaches but what about you know i'm trying to figure out how can i get more of this contrast yeah where's the where's the where's the grit yeah exactly where's the grit Mm. the northern beaches don't have grit narabin actually used to have grit that's why i was Mm. attracted to narabin when i moved here first narabin was very gritty Mm. but now it's very pretty which is not a bad thing obviously Mm. but yeah, we don't have grit, but then there are maybe other ways to explore creativity. And one of the other ways I think is definitely facing some sort of challenges, whether that is launching a new venture or or asking someone for a partnership in business or doing anything that, that maybe, again, we don't want to do necessarily, mm. but that maybe will help us to face some challenges. I guess we've all been, you know, through the, you know, pandemic experience, been nudged or pushed into or even you know pushed off a cliff with our creative ventures do you you see that with the small businesses or the entrepreneurs that you work with that people are kind of like oh you know what what got us here is not gonna get us to where we need to be to actually survive and and hopefully thrive beyond the virus yeah that's a great question and i'm seeing sort of two types of businesses and and to be completely honest before the pandemic, for me personally, as a business owner in Basic Grounds, I've been running this business for 11 years. I felt a bit meh, you know, uh, I, I love it, but I, I, I was, it was just smooth. You know, everything was running really well. I didn't have super a lot of mojo anymore. The pandemic hit and suddenly I'm like waking up and like, okay, this is exciting. Let's change things. And, and I woke up a little bit out of this, you know, it's all good. You know, I'm just going traveling. The team has... <laughs> is under their control and they're amazing now to suddenly like okay i'm gonna hustle and it's exciting and so with businesses that we work with i'm seeing these two types of businesses the one that did exactly that they woke up they're like okay this is not gonna be you know now we have the new normal and the old normal this is just evolution like things are they keep evolving which means that we have to evolve and they hustled they took risks they had the courage to change Mm -hmm. things change the offering change the audiences and then you have the other type of person that is just waiting. Uh, but they're slowly waking up now in 2021. They realized, okay, New Year. You know, a lot of people were waiting for the end of 2020 and then hit 1st of January. They're like, okay, now let's see. Are things back to normal? Oh, no, they're not. Okay. 
Uh, but what what do you think they're waiting for? Well, you know, like in a sarcastic way, I think if I want to be sarcastic about the mm. whole thing, I'm like they were waiting for things to to change. But really, to be honest, talking to these people that did wait for the end of the year, it was more about closing one chapter and now opening a new. It wasn't really about. So a little bit of like symbolism, yes. but then at the same time, maybe just hoping nostalgically that yeah, that things are gonna work out mm. the same as the year before. So so that second type of person is still sort of like putting the head in the sand a bit. In Australia, there's still a bit of support from the government, so they're still living a little bit, living that out. But it's gonna run out. So these guys are gonna have to pull the head out a little bit sooner. Then later to adjust the funny thing is that the ones that have done that last year they are smashing it mm. there are so many small businesses that have changed their entire business model their approach and they're out there hustling they are doing so well it, and they deserve it too yeah give us a, give us some examples like what what are they doing how are they, is it like a different type of content that they're creating is it a like are they innovating on their services launching totally new products what 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 are you what yeah. what are the sort of heartening stories of you just going hey that that's amazing that creativity within constraints yeah there's one i'll give you two so that we have two different industries and different products so one is a mother and daughter team and they make kids clothing called bandicoot check them out they're amazing and they used to rely a lot they was just them to making their their clothing they they it's very unique their stuff very aussie iconic and they used to rely a lot on markets they would go to markets and sell their their clothing and then of course all the markets got cancelled so these two ladies they hustled they upskilled to learn how do we sell online and they don't enjoy it i mean they're creatives they don't want to be on Facebook doing ads and doing all this online stuff, but they are doing it. They are doing it and they, and they learn how to do it. Because they just didn't have a choice, right? Yeah, but yeah. They, well, their other choice would be to do nothing and <laughs> not sell anything mm. and get a job instead. But instead, they, they hustled, they learned how to do it. They, they, they learned a skill they didn't really enjoy that much, but that now they're doing so well. They just bought one kilometer of fabric, I think they told me. Which is a lot if you think about mm. it to to create more more of the items and they hired a team in i think in queensland to help them create wow. the product amazing so that's one example and another example is a restaurant in melbourne and of course again melbourne got hit a lot harder than we mm. did so they didn't have any revenue anymore restaurant was closed so they started to offer meal services to go home to people's homes mm. and They've promoted that. They've changed their whole business model. They've changed the, the branding on their building, on the restaurant. And people walk past it. They can see the link where it says, you know, go here to get home delivery, etc. And again, they're, they're doing really well, hmm. changing that into a completely different business. Yeah. And how did you guys as, a, as, a, as an agency, as a... As a you know, as an entrepreneurial community, how did you, how did you kind of pivot? Did you have to go all online or what were the things you guys had to do to, yeah. to get through? Yeah. So for basic bananas, basic bananas used to be a lot of, of offline training. So we used to fly or have mentors flying to different cities around Australia, Switzerland, East Coast, West Coast, US and New Zealand. So people would, would fly around from our team and 
and run these mastermind sessions in person. Sounds like we're talking like centuries ago. I know. You know I know. It does yeah. feel like centuries ago. <laughs> I know. So, and that just stopped overnight. Mm. So all those face-to-face -face sessions stopped overnight. Mm. And we, we, either myself, my co-founder or mentors would meet these groups of entrepreneurs once a month for half a day to work on their marketing. And then they would also have some online components and that stopped. And so we put everything online. So we built a studio a little bit like this where we can deliver the, the content online virtually. And it was quite a big change for a lot of businesses to get into that mindset to now they don't see us in person anymore. And funnily enough, only very few, we have a community of maybe four or 500 people in that program, the Clever Bunch program, and only very few didn't like it. Most of them, the majority, maybe 90% at least, said, you know what, this is saving me travel time travel to a venue parking and for me personally i feel like the the virtual training is very focused you come in you work you don't have the side chatter and the distractions mm -hmm. it's there to get stuff done and it obviously definitely our sales went down we kept our members for you know they usually join us for a year and then they renew if they want to so so that was great but our sales for new businesses to join the community that went down by at least 50, uh, about 50%. Mm. But it's because people had to get used to this new way of engaging with a company. And now sales are back up. And people, I feel like, are getting even better results applying what they're learning than before. So you're saying that they're learning and, uh, and deploying what they're, they've just learned. Yeah, I feel like they're even applying better. more. Yeah, I feel yeah. like they're applying more and maybe they have to more because it's a, a situation where we mm. don't know what's tomorrow. And of course, for our business, we now don't have such a big, first of all, carbon footprint flying around all the time and also less time on planes for all of us. And the costs, of course, have gone down because, mm. I mean, we did also adjust the pricing for the programs to reflect that, but we are a lot leaner now. Before yeah. we had lots of expenses on flights, hotels and, and venues that we would hire, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, and I always pose this question, whether there were things that you guys had procrastinated on that maybe you knew that Definitely. one day we'll have to change this so we yeah. can tweak the margins. And I've always wanted to do more virtual mm. training and my business partner was a bit more traditional in every sense. And he wanted to keep it the way that it was running. And now, of course, we were forced to be more virtual. And then for the business hood, the business hood is our branding agency. And that's been going nuts because people, I think, had the time last year to work on their brands. And we visit the brand strategy and new websites, new, new collateral. So they've spent nine months doing that. So the business hood actually has been a little bit under. And I guess, <laughs> you know, people are tapping into and, and have been soul searching, you know, on an individual and, and company level of going, you know, who do we, who do we want to be in the re-emergence? Who do we want to be in what I would term the, you know, the second renaissance, which is this, you know, great excuse to actually kind of go, who do, you know, who do we want to create? What's the, you know, what's the purpose? What's the passion we want to um, tap into yeah. as, as we, you know, reimagine what our business models might, might look like. I think forward. that's true. I feel like the first few months of the pandemic, people were sort of binge watching things and getting on all these apps. And then suddenly that got boring. And I feel like a lot of people that I know 
and a lot of entrepreneurs they started to think about okay is that the future no I, you know i don't want to be on netflix all day i do want to create something meaningful and that is the renaissance i think that you know we're talking about where it's like almost this rebirth of who who am i and what is important that's why i think also a lot of people maybe change jobs towards the end of last year they've realized that you know who i really am is this and this is what i want to do mm. a lot of startups are doing more i feel like there's more startups that are doing meaningful things and again that's part of the this renaissance is people are building stuff not just for the sake of making money but because they want to do something meaningful so that that whole which you know really well that whole model of it's a for purpose but also for profit which is a really yeah. great business model and it's interesting because it's it's easy to imagine that in you know in really really tough times no doubt all over the world it's easy to imagine humanity you know scrounging becoming extremely egoic but I, i've seen so many examples of of the opposite where okay. Even the business models that are being born um, are about sustainability or renewable resources. Um, it's about making a, you know a social impact. It's you know big hedge funds moving very actively or removing you know board members in companies that yeah. you know they have a stake in because you know they are not compatible with the future or sustainability. And so you're seeing a very, very, you know, proactive movement towards, you know, new models, new, you know, even, even this week, Elon Musk announced that Tesla had bought, you know, $1.5 billion yeah, worth of, 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 of Bitcoin, right? So, uh, or Dogecoin, I think uh, even more specifically. So, you know, we've got one of the largest companies in the world, a listed organization going, hey, you know, we back this new new innovation that's been so controversial and there's probably an argument that none of this would have happened but for the sort of global version of your italian friend's father going you know you need to do something that you don't like yeah. you know you need to test something that you you know feel uncomfortable with and maybe we've just become more aware also of our surroundings whereas maybe before we were a little bit living in our own little silos doing our thing you know having regular salary if you're employed or doing your thing in your business but without really caring too much and then suddenly something this epidemic <laughs> happens mm. that we suddenly realized oh we are not alone clearly because we as soon as we are connected we're really connected because obviously something like this can spread only through this connectedness and I definitely have seen so many, you know, we talked earlier before the interview about moments of humanity. I've seen so many moments of humanity more than before even. And I think that's that's really cool. And and seeing these companies, and again, I think there are the companies that are taking the risks and that are getting it and, and are doing more work in that space of sustainability or whatever, embracing a cause. And then there are the ones that are still in the old ages and they still force their team to go back into the office nine to five. I know these people, mm. entrepreneurs too, they don't believe in this flexible model. I was working with a law firm actually last week. I was doing a, a session on new school marketing with 35 lawyers in a law firm. And 
the founder, very lovely guy, he said, just please don't tell them anything about this new HE working from home flexibility thing. Just, you know, focus on marketing only because he knows my take on this new HE stuff. Mm. I'm all for it because he, <laughs> he wants people to be there. He said, I want people to be here in the office nine to five. And that's fair enough. But so you have the ones that are resisting this new renaissance of how we work, live mm. and engage. And then you have the companies that are embracing. So you mentioned the world of law, which is, um, you know, a world that I, I trained in. And um, I remember I finished, finished school in Canberra and um, I'd, I'd really sort of really put my mind towards learning and academics. And, and, and my wife will tell me, she, she says, and as you sort of, you learn how to hack the way of excelling at school. And so I ended up getting a scholarship and, 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 and that was a sort of a blessing and a curse because the scholarship um, as an international student, you know, was, was worth, I mean, I didn't, sadly I didn't get this as a check, but you know, it, it, you know, it was worth the equivalent of 120 grand, which as a, you know, 18 year old, you're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. It paid for the, for the, for the, for the, for the studies. And I got to choose any subject that I wanted to study. And so I was like, what's the, what's the most expensive degree <laughs> at ANU, um, the Australian National University. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do law because that's expensive and I'll, you know, I'll get a job <laughs> at some yeah. stage. And then, but what I really enjoy is the arts. So I'll do an arts law degree, double degree. Um, and, but you know, like, it actually kind of went against my inner nature, I think. Um, and the law is all based on here in Australia, you know, precedent, which is you, you kind of study what worked in the past. And, in, and, you know, even laws now are struggling to keep up with, you know, ethical concerns in terms of the exponentiality of, you know, of technology, et cetera, yeah. privacy, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm, I'm always... Um, I'm always mesmerized at how, um, you know, family, you know, our childhood, what are the, you know, moments in life that, you know, give this, you know, the likes of yourself, the, the, the confidence to kind of go, actually, I'm just going to follow my intuitions, my purpose, my, my, my passions, as opposed to maybe the sort of parental advice like from my parents like oh, law or banking or yeah. doctor um now at some stage i backed myself to to be a futurist yeah because um, you've proven to yourself that you can do anything right yeah and it's but yeah. it's, it's a bit of an evolution i think and i think part of it's like also like actually tapping into your sort of child like abilities and going you know what are the what are the things through life that i've loved doing I'm, I'm curious you know as a as a as a swiss aussie now what are the what are the big sort of lifeline moments for you that where you've gone paradigm shift you know i learned to trust my own yeah it's such a great question and and i actually ended up in australia on a similar path i got a scholarship to come to sydney university just for one year mm -hmm. and then after the year was finished i wanted to stay but then i would have had to pay the international student fees which I didn't have so I, I went back to Switzerland for a year and then moved back here but sort of you know similar 
maybe to your upbringing, Swiss people are quite conventional and definitely my in my family I actually have an older brother and in my family my mom and dad we were the first ones to go to like high school is sort of it's a bit different to hear high school it's gymnasium we were the first one to go to gymnasium and then we were also the first ones in the entire family to go to university because in Switzerland it's on a merit system it's not about how much money you have and so it was definitely you know to make our parents I guess a bit proud we and also I did want to study but my brother studied economy. He's very the quintessential Swiss guy. And he's also the good child in the family following that advice, you know, to study mm-hmm. economy and get a job in a Swiss bank, which he did. And he's an amazing guy. He's two years older. I love him to bits. And then for me, I wanted, I was also a little bit more of the wild child in the family. And I wanted to study more like linguistics and things, but that wouldn't have been good enough. So I did a little bit of a compromise and I, moved to Geneva from Bern and Geneva is a little bit of a wild city it's French and it's international so compromise I moved to Geneva and I studied international politics political science and marketing and my dad was very proud that I did political science even though I did and I had law and I hated it and and but pivotal moments were definitely growing up as a Swiss girl it's very you know working hard studying hard working hard and getting good marks was the that's what you do and we even you know this is great parenting probably not we got my brother and i only got rewarded in cash for only if we had top mark top mark is a six in switzerland so if we had a six or or five and a half at the end of the year we would get six bucks or five and a half dollars so it was a reward system based on yeah yeah and then so I, I was in that system and it was all good I, I had a lot of top marks probably because of it a little bit too and then when I was 16 I did an exchange year in Costa Rica and that was one of the biggest pivotal moments of my life because before I'm living in this you know great environment and it's safe and it's you know Swiss and then I go to Costa Rica where it's it's chaos it's wild people are crazy in a good way and I, I I turned suddenly a little bit more into I don't need to do this conventional study stuff you know I just be a bit more free and flexible and and a bit more wild it was definitely more my my energy and then I met all these Aussie exchange students in Costa Rica they were two years older than me they were nuts like for a Swiss girl I looked at these two year older they were eighteen and they were nuts they were partying all the time and I'm like wow I like these people mm. and actually back then. At 16, apparently, I said to my Australian friend, who is still my friend now, she lives in Canada, I said to her that one day I will be an Aussie because I just like their vibe. And so then that was a pivotal moment. I came back to Switzerland to go to university. And my dad always regretted a little bit that Costa Rica year because he could see my shift. How I wasn't so focused on school Mm. anymore. I was more focused on having side jobs after school so I can make money to go travel again for me personally it was one of the best things I've ever done I've grown up a lot in that year because also it was you know not easy I didn't speak the language best thing I've ever done and that was a pivotal moment and then coming to Australia was definitely a pivotal moment again but I'm just curious there so from a parental perspective is it is it that you've shifted or, or, or changed or is it maybe almost like a renaissance like a rebirth of something who you actually totally a renaissance. always were yeah 
you're so right. Totally Renaissance. I think I've always been a bit the wild child, but I've conformed more just to keep people happy and to make my dad proud and to get money. Mm. <laughs> have you have you seen the movie? Um, I used to live in. Uh, I did part of my law degree in uh, Vienna, Austria, and 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 one of the the only really fame internationally famous movies from from or set in Vienna is The Third Man. I haven't seen it. Okay, so um, so there's a scene in 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 the movie where. Uh, Switzerland gets um, compared with Italy, and this goes to the point on creativity, um, which is in this scene, and I, I, I paraphrase here, um, that friction and fighting and, and chaos, and they use Italy as an example. So you know, there's always been infighting by all the all the feudal you know principalities, infighting between. Um, Genoa and 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 Venice and and Florence and all these you know um, all these principalities through 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 centuries um, you know wars etc and 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 they say you know what has this brought us this has brought us you know um, Da Vinci Michelangelo yeah. and and the Renaissance yes. but when you have peace and quiet and they turn to Switzerland. Uh, when you have peace and quiet and hundreds of years of, of, of peace, yeah. look at Switzerland. The only innovation to come out of Switzerland is the cuckoo clock. No, the cuckoo clock is Austrian, I think. But what about watches? <laughs> what, this is yeah. this watch I'm pointing exactly. and, 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 and I don't think I don't think the movie is quite fair because no, of course totally you have so many artisans <laughs> who've created amazing, you know. Swiss watches over the century. So I don't think the, the movie is quite accurate, but it's, a, it's an interesting yes. sentiment of like friction, chaos, yes. co your Costa Rican experience. Oh, totally. And you know what? The sentiment is right. And I think the cuckoo clock is Austrian. I don't think it's... Oh, so they didn't even get the geography no, right. No, I don't yeah. think we can claim it to, for a Swiss. It's either Austrian or German. But Switzerland is, you're right, you know, Italy has all this art and, and, and creativity and beauty. Switzerland has precision. You know, we have the Swiss watches and the Swiss army knives and a lot of inventions come out of Switzerland, but it's more like, it's not super the creative wild creativity. It's like precision engineering, like that type mm -hmm. of thinking, which mm -hmm. is a little bit different. And you're so right about the whole thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm always also intrigued in, in terms of how we enable kids to be creative, obviously. And I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you a question, even though it's your interview, because Creativity for me, and I'm sure you tend to agree, is it's about tapping into your imagination. Mm. And I feel like maybe in, in certain cultures or families, subcultures, we either allow this creativity to, to emerge that kids are, because you look at some kids, they're so inventive, they do their thing and, and, you know, and then often turn into entrepreneurs. And then we have other cultures where that's not so enabled. Uh, what do you do with with your son too? Yeah, so I guess you know we, we we've thought about this because I think yeah both both Nicole and I I mean Nicole is an entrepreneur and a, and a, and a fashion designer and a real you know aesthete, um, but we probably both sort of conformed a little bit after school um, on great parental guidance. Um, you know, she really wanted to go off and study design at Central St. Martin's in London. Um, but then her parents were like, no, you should go to, you know, University of um, Technology Sydney or UTS mm. to study, you know, some real real degrees first. And I went off and, and did my arts law. And, and I think 
we both feel like, yeah, those, like, I would say that she probably found her time at UTS like an actual waste of time. <laughs> uh, no, no, no offense to UTS uh, and the business school there that we've, that is a client of ours, but, you know, um, and, um, yeah, the, you know, the, the law degree, you know, might have opened a couple of doors and looked good on the CV, but I'm not sure it served me that much. So we, I think, like, we're with our parenting now with, with Lucien, we really, we really want him to have an experience through, through Montessori education that is, um, you know, really enabling him to tap into, his unique gifts. And I think, you know, I think he's, you know, as a three and a half year old, he's still, you know, he's, he's exploring those, but we're, you know, we're already noticing, you know, parts of her, his personality where we go, well, like he's, he's a hugely like empathetic child. Like he, if I hurt myself or, you know, if I'm trying to do some handyman things around the home <laughs> and I, you know, hit my thumb or some, you know, I can't like, imagine you're doing hand. Sorry, this is yeah, really no, nice I know, I know. But okay. you know, like I actually do. Like, so we have like a, we have a summer house at Mackerel Beach, and uh, I've had to learn. I've had That's to learn. Amazing. Yeah, it's a, actually doing something you don't maybe want to do, but then you do it, and you. I, I, I actually really enjoy it. I think, but again, it's one of those examples where my uh, grandfather Holger in Sweden on my father's side was um, was 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 really good. Like. On, um, engineer but really enjoyed woodwork etc and one summer he he looked after us a lot when mom and dad were away um and i learned to build doors i learned to build um benches and uh soccer goals because i was a, you know really into soccer when i was a kid i still am um and then i remember um my grandfather's partner at the time telling my parents, they're like, oh, Anders is really good with a hammer and a saw. And, and uh, I don't think my parents wanted to hear that. <laughs> they wanted me to, to nurture my academic side. So it was never really encouraged. And so mm -hmm. I think there's been this latent interest in me for 20 years that really just with, you know, with um, owning our summer house and, and, and now our mainland house, um, I've had to, you know, kind of rediscover it, but I've always, it's been there as a, as yeah. a real interest. I'm, I'm not saying I'm ever going to be really great at it, um, but actually I do enjoy it. And, um, and, you know, this gets us back to that point. And I feel like the, this is an important one to, to share or, or almost revisit is maybe we've been, and listeners and, and you and I, we've been on certain paths because we have been maybe sandwiched into a little bit of a, you know, you should study economy or you should econ economy yeah economy or or law or political science but then eventually you know even within this you can have this renaissance of of who you are and and you know even though maybe your degree and your wife's degree you don't really feel like it's done too much for my degree i mean i'm not doing anything in politics definitely not in australia but i still feel like those four years or so have also taught me a lot whether you know not always in the classroom but mm. interacting with people and writing papers and researching and all the the skills not so much on the specific topic but just skills and then how do we apply this when we have a reverse into what we really want to do yeah yeah and sometimes might, might be again that parental advice of like do something you don't want to do and, and 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 being like nudged into something 
can sometimes maybe be a positive. It could also be a negative where someone spends, you know, an entire career working on something they're not really that good at or passionate about or purposeful about. So I think, you know, when I, when I see my son, when I hit my thumb and he can cry because he sees that I'm in physical pain, he's empathizing with me. I'm like, wow, that, like that empathy that I'm seeing in him is pretty profound. And I'm, like curious how I don't want him to ever lose it because I go yeah. now you should become you know an, an investment banker. No, um, and quickly can I share something on that yeah. point because this is your topic. You know how we talk about obviously also the future of of jobs and we need to think about for our kids. You know what skills do they need? Empathy is one of these skills that probably computers, robots won't mm. have for a while. So people mm. like your son that have these other skills are probably a little bit at an advantage, but this is maybe something we can also nurture, right? Yeah, I hope so. And I mean, I think it's it's largely down to educational choices by parents and, and how we try and influence schools, government, um, because there's such a huge focus on, you know, sciences, technology, engineering, maths, you know, it's teach your kids how to code so they can, you know, work with robots. And I think that intuition is is, is incorrect. Yeah. Um, I would argue that, you know, we've had a huge circuit breaker year when people have been able to tap back into their why, which I know is a huge part of what you do. Uh, some people call it their ikigai, like the Japanese yes. from, from Okinawa. And then it's like, you know, if, if there is an opportunity now, if there's a huge shakeup, if there's social mobility, I think it's such a unique moment in, in history for people to do something that has meaning for themselves, but also meaning meaning for for the planet. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious to get back to 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 your you know journey of of creativity. When when did you sort of when did you realize that hey, um, university, Australia, academia, you know, traditional work. When did you realize that you just like you wanted to do something more or create your own yeah. footprint on the universe, so to speak? Yeah, great question. I've always struggled a little bit with authority. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was good at being a teacher's pet, but it, it, I, I struggled with having people telling me what to do, which is obviously when you're in a job, people often tell you what to do. So it, I always knew. Even when I was at university, I always knew I'm going to do my own thing eventually. I didn't know what that was going to be. I just knew, you know what, I will not survive in a job. I just don't like people telling me what to do. And then when I, after I finished my degree, I moved to Australia and I got a job in advertising. And it was actually, you know, I just sort of fell into it because I was here and I thought, you know what, while I figure out my life and what I want to do, I'm just going to do some temp work because I always need to earn some cash. And I was doing a temp job. I was 23, I think, 22 or 23 in an advertising agency at reception, picking up the phone. I hardly understood what they were saying in Australian English. But the CEO really liked me. He thought, I'm great and my work is great. He offered me a job in accounts management. So I took it because it was a good salary and the job was great-ish. And I could do a bit of strategy. And so I was working there in a job with a boss and it was the first time in my life that 
I felt that something was a bit off and I was too young, I think, to understand this whole concept of why and purpose and all that. I just felt a bit meh and I'm normally like very happy and, you know, do my thing. And I, something was off and I thought maybe it's because I just moved to Australia or I just got engaged or I could be happy in any of these factors. And only later did I realize it's because I was doing this, this again, I was pressed into a, a, a job and often, and again, this is probably a bit of an entrepreneurial thing. Like often we would do work and, and I felt like this is so inefficient. Can we do it this way? Mm. But because I was such a junior, it's like, no, but what have you got to say? Like we had, we've been doing this for 20 years this way. So no, we're not going to change this process just because you come along and you think we can do it differently. And that really, I thought, well, I can do this better. And then, so I did advertising for a few years. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, it's time for me to do my own thing. But the, the natural answer was to do something in that space of marketing. And mm. that's when then I started Basic Bananas and the, I never looked back. I knew as soon as I started my own business and it was hard for eight months of working really hard, not making a lot of money. But I knew straight away, I knew that the, the worst that can happen is I go get a job again. It wouldn't have been that hard to get a job. Mm. But I knew I can never do that. I can never have a job again with someone telling me what to do. Impossible. And then that's when I sort of really fell in love with entrepreneurship. And, and when I was... What, what, yeah, do, what, what do you love about what do you love about entrepreneurship? You know the concept and the, you know the journey. Yeah, I had lunch today with a good friend of mine, and she said, "I finally found my calling." She said, "I love education. I love educating people." She also works in an entrepreneurial uh, space. She works for someone as an educator, but also has to do a lot of the team management. She said, "All I want to do is be the educator and provide programs." And I said, "It's amazing to know that that's what you want." I actually personally. I, what I love about entrepreneurship is the creativity and and my entire job I feel is to make things better and to bring also the best out in team members to get to let them be creative and I almost feel like that's something that we can do with with our team with our kids is let them be creative what that means is let them fail don't tell them what to do always but let them fail some of our best innovations or ideas have come from team because there's this culture of it's okay i can make mistakes and if i every now and then have a really great idea it's definitely very feels good mm. and it's that's the thing that gets me most excited about this space is is being creative looking for ways to be different to what other people are doing and also almost sometimes proving people wrong a little bit when they say no you can't do that or you won't be able to do that then to just go and do it. So we, we met through EO, which is a global community of, of entrepreneurs. How, how important has that community or, or that culture of being surrounded by other entrepreneurs, how has that shaped you as a, as a person? EO, I've been in EO for five years and in the beginning, I joined because of two reasons. One, I wanted to be surrounded by people that are in a similar space, entrepreneurial space, and have similar challenges. And two, in all honesty, when I first joined EO, it was all middle-aged white guys that I would never hang out with. 
that think very differently to how I people think. that look like me a bit older <laughs> a bit older okay so so 50s have been in business for a while quite a lot of conventional business I mean you are mm. not the typical EO yeah, futurist okay. yeah, come yeah, on yeah, people don't yeah know what you do probably yeah, yeah probably probably so there was a lot of conventional businesses and a lot of people that i thought i would normally not spend time with you because we wouldn't clash in the normal world and again it's this contrast it's like now i'm forced with forum to hang out with people that think very differently and it's it's great for me to go wow that's how some people think mm. so it's been good for that for for being thrown into a great community of people that I feel like we're probably very different in how we think and live and, and are, but also very same because we all run businesses, we have the same problems and it's a place to share deeply and, and get support. I've met some of the most amazing people globally through EO. Every, and you've probably noticed that everywhere you travel, when you travel again in five years, <laughs> everywhere you go, there are people to connect with because of this organization that's been amazing. Because mm. I think that, you know, drives home the point that there's got to be, you know, subcultures and, and culturally, you know, the sense of support and the sense of, you know, Australian gung-ho, you know, you can have a go is something I really appreciate yes. as, a, as a Swede, you know, uh, and we interviewed a French-Australian entrepreneur on the Second Renaissance last weekend, uh, Elise. Uh, Piyosh Balzac, who uh, has an amazing homeware brand in, here in Australia. And she said, you know, in France, the, the cultural response to if you want to have a crack is mais non. Yeah. Whereas in yeah. Australia, it's mais oui. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's so heartening in certain cultures around the world. I mean, I think America would be another one, Canada, probably another Definitely. one, um, where you, you can have a go. And, I, and I'm curious, just like, I mean, as, as a Swedish Australian and a Swiss Australian, we probably get very confusing now for, for our audiences <laughs> from a geography perspective. But basically, you know, Francisco is from the country of Roger Federer and great chocolate, <laughs> and I'm from the world of ABBA and IKEA. Um, so, the, you know, these two worlds obviously shape us as well. I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of stories of creativity that, you know, in terms of rebirth, you know, you tap into from your childhood. But you know, childhood in, in Switzerland, now, you know, adulthood in, in, in Australia. How do those two worldviews kind of shape you as a, as a person now? And, and how do you see them shaping you in your future years as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the cultures are very different. I feel like similar probably to Sweden. In Switzerland, it's more menor. It's, it's, it's more like if you want to start a business, you need to have all the ducks in a row. That's sort of how you approach it. And then by the time you have your ducks in a row, somebody else has already done what you were going to do. And I've seen this many times over and over. Whereas here, you come here and it's like, just do it. I always said in, you know, in all honesty, what I did here at quite a young age, I could not have done in Switzerland. If I had done exactly the same business model here in Switzerland, I would not have been as successful this quickly. Because here people are just going for it. They also trust you. Here it's more about if you deliver results, we're all good. Let's do it. In Switzerland, it's more about what certificate do you have, you know, which diplomas, etc. It's more about that. It's changing a little bit. So, but then, you know, in terms of how has these two worlds shaped me, 
I feel like Switzerland has so much to give and Switzerland for me has been very much about work ethics. When I first moved here and I got this job in advertising, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, are people not working? Like what? <laughs> because I was, you know. They're off surfing at Narrabeen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like <laughs> chatting in the office and yeah, mm. or surfing, which I do now too. But I felt like, wow, like it's very easy to get ahead here because you just, all you need to do is just put your head down and work very efficiently. And so I've learned from, from Switzerland to that work integrity, I guess. And, and also from, again, this is thanks to my parents. When I was maybe 10 or 11, I got my first job on Saturday mornings in a winery where I was cleaning their fountains and mowing the lawn. And I got that so that I could have pocket money to buy stuff that I wanted. And that taught me a lot too. It's like, okay, so if I want something, I need to do something. Mm. It's like this, it's this consequence, you know, that I feel like a lot of kids in these days don't understand that when you do a certain action, there's a consequence, positive or negative. So I feel like that's shaped me a lot, that discipline and, and work ethics. And then here, just give it a go. I didn't tell my, my parents at the time when I was in advertising and I left my career to build my business. I didn't tell anyone in Switzerland for probably at least six months. And the reason why is because I knew that if I tell them, they're going to fill my head with all the sorts of why I shouldn't have done that, mm -hmm. which already for me as a newbie entrepreneur back then wouldn't have been very helpful. So I didn't tell anyone until the business started to prove yeah. itself and work. Don't ask for permission, but it's yes. easy to apologize yes. afterwards. Well, it's nothing to apologize mm. even. It's like, this is my choice. Mm. And some of them still probably don't know exactly what I do. and it's okay. Also, compared to here, most of my best friends at home, and I'm very connected still with my homies, the people that I went to school with, primary school, they don't have businesses. It's, and it's not, a, it's not an issue, obviously. It, we, we're always connected, whereas here, more people are entrepreneurial, I guess, mm. than in Switzerland. My um, my Swiss cuckoo clock tells me that we're, <laughs> that we're nearly in the, in the, in the end zone. Uh, if, if it runs precisely, which I'm hoping, um, I'm curious, just, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you've descended from this, you know, the Swiss mountains, you know, Alpine sort of, you know, upbringing. Um, I know you love the oceans here in Australia. Um, you know, part of, part of your social enterprise is also about protecting those oceans. Um, I'm curious, you know, water, snow, nature, what role do you think that plays, not just for you, but in terms of how nature can inspire creativity for, for, for humans more, more broadly? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's huge. I can't speak too much for other people, but I think most people have that sentiment that when you are in nature or when you are, you know, you, you, you bring up the mountains and the ocean. And for me, the feeling that you get in either or is very similar because there's this vastness and also there's this vastness that makes you feel so small and that i feel is like the the thing that just helps you to to evolve and to to think more i often when i need to think or i have a, a difficult situation to solve my number one place now is always the ocean anytime i have a challenging time i spend so much more time by the ocean in the ocean because it's this vastness that makes me feel humble you know, sometimes we also maybe get a little bit like on the high horse and then 
I don't know if you surf, but sometimes when I, you know, have maybe a, a big win and I'm like feeling all cocky and then I go surfing and then I get completely slammed. I feel like a, suddenly a total beginner and I've surfed for a mm. while and I'm like, oh, thank you. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> get down. <laughs> yeah i feel a bit the same when i do i do ocean swimming i'm not a i'm not a skilled uh, surfer yet but certainly when ocean swimming that can you feel like you're just like meditating or going through and then and then something happens that really that really throws you yeah and i I, and i love both mountains and ocean if i had to choose one i would definitely choose the ocean but both of them going out into nature walking i think it's just almost a place to get back to your presence again you know how we always we talked about earlier we're always like a little bit living in the next moment or what needs to happen next or what happened in the past and i feel like nature is the one place that has the ability to focus you again it's like you're right here right now and and it's probably really healthy for your brain and mental health physical health etc to be outside Mm. and um for all listeners and viewers as well i mean uh francisca and myself have both made you know the peninsula and the northern beaches are home and i feel like there's almost something kind of spiritual to this area um, and one of our guests uh, mika utson popov certainly pointed that out that this is the place where you know the hawkesbury and the pit water meet the ocean there, there's a certain energy to it mm. up here where really you know the kuringai national park you know and the bushland meets this beautiful so true. sense of you know spaciousness and um, um we welcome anyone up here who wants to explore this beautiful part of the world. And certainly it's something that's helped keep me grounded through, you know, through the pandemic year. I wouldn't choose another place in the world to really, you know, live through lockdowns. We're very fortunate. We're very fortunate. Mm. And I always say this, this place here where we live, this whole area, I've, I've been to many places and I've lived in different countries and, and I've always thought, Oh, you know, I can live anywhere. I can live in Hawaii. I can live in different, live in different places. And then I come back here and I'm like, this is hands down, mm. and I've been to ninety something countries. It is hands down for me, and probably for you too, the most incredible place to live. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate. So yeah, anyone is welcome to come and say hi. Yeah. Come to Under Studio. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the uh, you know the other side of the wall, across uh, the wall, back into Wildling Country up on the peninsula. Thank you so much uh, for visiting the place where the Second Renaissance really taking place. Pleasure hosting you, Francisca. Thanks for having me.